When I was in high school, I played baseball and some other things, but one of the things I played was baseball. And every year they'd take a trip to Florida. And this was a big deal. You get invited to Florida. You felt like I was a major league player for like a second until we recognized all that went into it. But and so I, it was very, very exciting. And we would drive. See, now the school says just show up and everybody has to pay their airfare and they fly. Very, very different. But we would drive from St. Louis all the way down and where we played was around the Cocoa Beach area. And so as we were driving, Florida's a long drive. There's multiple stops. And then our head coach was notorious for um, not really being cognizant of anything happening. I, I'm trying to be very kind in the way I said it, but he's a wonderful man and I really, really like him. But um, he's pretty, he's just a brilliant statistician. And so he's got baseball down, he's got statistics down, he's got, and a lot of the other kind of relational things that are wonderful and beautiful or, or social cues that you would normally maybe do, he wouldn't really do because he's just processing and thinking and that's beautiful, it's just who he is, it's how the Lord gifted him. So we would stop, say, at McDonald's to eat dinner, right? Get in the car and all 20 guys, whoever pile out of the vans, we're excited to take a break, we're eating dinner. Uh, we'd eat food, and then we'd notice that coach gets up and walks and gets in his car and drives off. <laughs> he was done with his meal. So then all the other coaches like, guys, hurry, get your stuff, get your stuff, get up and get in the car. <laughs> then we're sprinting to the van, and we got to find him and catch up to him, and he's just kind of bopping down the road in his car. He was ready to go. Uh, some guys were still finishing their order. They're taking the order in a bag. Uh, and it was a, it was a funny, and it wasn't disrespectful. He was just thinking through, you know, getting stuff together, and he was ready to go, and so he took off. <laughs> so then the, we jump in the vans and start following again. Um, I use this story because isn't it great to be remembered? <laughs> Doesn't that mean something to y'all? Sometimes I think in our Christian life, we go through difficult things, and we just feel like we're forgotten. I think sometimes in our journey with the Lord, maybe it's, it's a dry season or it's a hard season and we feel like the Lord doesn't know how I feel or he's forgotten me or he's forgotten New Covenant Church. Where are we going? This isn't, this isn't what it was. Uh, and there's a lot of reality and truth to that. When the Lord brings us to the desert, though, what is the thing that the Lord uses in the desert was always his word in his presence. You can look at Jesus brought by the Holy Spirit to the desert, and his response to Satan was always the word of God, right? Anyway, I'm going I'm to bring us to Mount Horeb today, also Mount Sinai. If you could please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read with you guys, um, starting in verse 1, Exodus 3, verse 1. And I've titled this, Take Your Shoes Off. Yeah, I'm not asking you to do that literally, uh, but from a heart standpoint, I'm asking you to take your shoes off. I was in a prayer meeting, this was probably in the spring, with, with a lot of our leaders here, and we were just praying before the Lord, and I felt that way. I felt kind of forgotten, not remembered. It was a difficult season, a difficult time, and I was thinking through a lot of different things personally in my life and for the church. And, it, and as I was sitting there, I felt like I re, the Lord reminded me of Moses standing before the burning bush. And so I thought about this text for a long time. I tried to put it into words, but I think there's a, prophetic, there's a prophetic statement here for us today, if you can hear it. I was asking the Lord for an experience. I feel forgotten. Lord, just reveal yourself to me. Just show me again. I feel dry. I feel like I'm in that desert. I feel like you've just taken off and left me there. And what I felt like the Lord <clears throat> said to me was, 
What I felt like the Lord said to me was, you're looking for a burning bush, but all I want you to do is take your shoes off. Because we are clamoring after the, the great experience to happen again, to make things right in one instance, because that's the American dream. That's the culture that we live in. If I want my supersized meal, I better get it in 30 seconds, or I'm going to complain and get a free meal out of it. Everything is immediate. So here I am before the king of the universe saying, make it right again. I feel forgotten. Feel left out. This isn't what it was. He says, I have the power to do what I can do. All I've asked you to do is take your shoes off. And so if you will go with me in this journey, this is my journey that I think is also for the church. I want to describe what that, what that means. How do we approach our king? What are we expecting of God when we come before him? And what should our posture be? Now, praise the Lord, we live in the new covenant. Jesus is our identity. We're united in him. We just celebrated that in the, in the Lord's Supper. We're forgiven and united, united to Christ. He is our mediator. He's the one that took the penalty of sin, right? So we have the ability and freedom to come before the Father anytime because of Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation today. I'm talking about how do you treat the king? Do you expect him just to do what you want to do at your, at your timing and your will, and you command him to do things? Or are you a servant of the Lord? Humble before him, your eyes not lifted too high. And you approach the king as he is, the king in majesty. Willing to do as he asks. Ready to receive what he says. Or are we declaring the things that he should do in our life and telling him what we deserve? There's a difference in the way that we should approach our king. And we see that all throughout the Bible. Even when Jesus was going to be arrested, one of my favorite texts in scripture out of John. Was they're calling out Jesus and they say, are you the Messiah? Are you the, who they say you are? And all he said was, I am he. And the guard trying to arrest him falls to the ground. And there's this wild experience that happens that recalls the same story to me that we're about to read out of Exodus. You cannot trifle with the I am. Don't mess with the one that's in control. And so we're in Christ and there's comfort and peace there, yet he is judge, he is God, he is creator. How are you approaching him? Let's just look at what we have. Take your shoes off. Exodus 3, 1 through 8. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. We all know what's taking place here. Moses has ran from Egypt. I encourage you to go back to read Exodus 1 and 2 if you aren't, if you aren't um, fully there. But Moses has fleed Egypt and is on the outskirts. He has just married Zipporah. And his, and his uh, father-in-law Jethro is a priest in Midian, which is very interesting. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which is also Mount Sinai. So many things happen there. It's an amazing place, specifically for Moses and for the proclamation of the people of God as the laws brought and everything else, Mount Sinai. Okay? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. There's so many things I want to talk about. I'm going to stay good, though. I'm going to try to get to my point. Is that okay? Whew. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. My question for us today is how do you approach our king? This text is, is so Im immense. I'm going to give you a broad, broad picture overview and just talk about specific things here. But there's so much happening as the call of Moses is taking place. And it's, it's reminding Moses that the God is, that God is the God of promises, that he's the one that reminds us uh, his, of his promises and of his purposes, and he reveals himself to us. But my question to you guys this morning is, how do you approach our king? We see throughout the Old Testament, Adam and Eve approached him after sin and shame and guilt. They hid themselves from him because he was so holy. That's why the sacrificial system was created, for us to be able to come before him. But even in that, if you didn't do it appropriately, if the priest didn't do the right thing in the right way and wash appropriately, he would die in the presence of God because he is so holy. We have other examples of a monarchies being formed in the way that the physical king also revealed to us the way that we approach our heavenly king. We have examples of even Nehemiah when he was in Persia. He was a cupbearer to the king. And he was afraid and the king began questioning him because the way you enter into the presence of a king matters. You can't come sad and downtrodden. We have expectations of the Messiah being king where the disciples needed to move the children out of the way because you can't have the children taking away from what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. But then Jesus totally changing that around and said, let the children come to me. I'm just excited today to be able to talk to us and to myself about how we approach our king. How we approach the king matters. He should be respected and honored. My first point is this. Turn to God. In verse 3 it says, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight and why the bush is not burned. I don't know if he's talking to himself. It's an interesting part of the text because it says, And Moses said. So there must have been other people there with the flock, I assume. But it seems funny to me, and it seems like he's talking to himself. But Moses says verbally, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Can you imagine seeing a bush that is on fire but not consumed? I mean, it blows your mind, whatever's taking place there. It's like a wonderful illusion, a magic trick of sorts. And it caught his attention, and he turned aside to it. I believe in our life, we need to be disciplined enough to stop going in the directions that we're going in and turn aside to where the Lord is leading us. Now, the burning bush is pretty interesting because how would you not go look at that? It's a wonder. But maybe we don't have a burning bush next to us on the road. But are we making the disciplined moves as believers and followers of Christ to turn aside from things that are not life-giving and to turn to things that are of the Lord? Um, recently on Tuesday night, I was at a Cardinals game with my family. We had a wonderful time. It was chaotic. The whole, the whole school was invited. 
Um, some students got to sing the national anthem, and, and one of the students was my son. And so it was a wonderful time to be there. After the chaotic evening, uh, we drove home. And as we were driving home, I noticed right in front of my subdivision there was a car that was coming up on my bumper quickly and then fading back. Coming up, fading back. Coming up, and I thought, oh my goodness. I've seen that before one time when I got in trouble because the police officer was trying to read my license plate. And I thought, no, not with my family here, please. I'm going to get pulled over. Um, it was not a police officer, I quickly found out, because as I put on my blinker to indicate that I was turning right into my subvision, uh, the car hit us from behind. Yes, 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 yes. Awful. So we pull over to the side, a um, little bit in shock, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, the gentleman comes out of his car and looks, looks at the damage, kind of says, hey, this is not that big of a deal. How about we just settle here together, you and me? It's just a, it's a paint scratch. If the police come out, he's just going to say it's, a, it's paint scratch. It's not a big deal. Let's just, let's just deal this together and do it up. And as he was talking, I couldn't help but to notice that, that our friend uh, smelled very strongly like alcohol. And so uh, he, slightly inebriated, he could not, I guess, determine that I was turning. And he was trying to turn with us, and he hit the back of my car. We were going into the same subdivision. Praise the Lord, he's not my neighbor because that would have been awkward. We called the police. The police came out in the rain. They were very kind. Uh, we, we, we dealt with it all, whatever else. Um, and it was, it was a sad experience. Our kids were asking so many questions. It's the first time as a family we've been hit. But it's just interesting to me because as I, ref as I reflect upon it, um, I knew clearly where I was going, and I turned off the road because that's the direction I needed to go. But the gentleman behind me was impaired. He couldn't make the turn because something was blocking his vision. Moses turned aside because he wanted to see what was going on with this bush and was intrigued by it. God provided a moment for him to see him and to come to him. I think oftentimes in life we get so busy in our schedules that maybe we get impaired to see where the Lord is leading us that we don't turn aside to him in the proper times. How do we approach our king? I believe it matters that we approach him in the appropriate ways that there are not things that impair us from seeing what he's calling us to. So my first installment, and I'll get to this at the end, is, just, is come to him in repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing at, at, at the moment of salvation. It is a lifestyle before the king. It honors Jesus and it proclaims, Lord, you are the one that's in control and can satisfy the deepest desires and longings of my heart. And I see where I am led astray and I bring myself back to you now. Repentance is turning aside. It's going in one direction and then turning around to follow the, same, the, the way that you know is life-giving. Not following anymore the old former passions of the flesh. And so as we come to the, before the king, are we approaching him? in an appropriate manner in repentance where we are turning aside from the things that lead us to death to the things that are leading us to what God is calling us to. If Moses had not turned aside that day, he would never have spoken to the Lord in the burning bush. Now, God is sovereign. He does what he would have done anyway. Please don't get me wrong. But you understand that that is the moment of Moses' calling. That's where he hears that he is the great I am. He hears the whole plan. He gives him the purpose at the burning bush. We must turn aside to be able to see where the Lord is calling us to and for what purpose he's doing it, for his glory and for what he's bringing us into. Number one, turn to God specifically in repentance. Are you still enamored with our king? Or has just the passions of life or the schedule or whatever it may be calloused you to not be so enamored with the beauty of 
turning aside to who he is. Be enamored by the work of God and what he wants, not what we desire in our own happiness. Come to God for who he is. Number two. Number one is turn to God. Number two is take your shoes off. This comes straight out of verse five. I'm going to read it for us. Verse five says, Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off. And here's the reasoning. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. What makes ground holy? Certainly not the sand, right? The presence of God himself. God determines what is clean and unclean. God determines what is holy and not holy. God is the one that says you are to be holy as he is holy. And the impossibility as to what that seems as a call to our life is actually possible because of the blood of Christ that covers us. Right? And so take off your shoes to me is not just a semblance of the sand that you're standing on matters. Don't bring the filthiness and the unsanitariness of the bottom of your shoes upon this sand because it's special. But come into my presence in the appropriate way. Take off what is nasty and hindering you. Don't come before me in a casual manner because I am the creator of the universe. I am the self-existent one. I am who I am. And so as, as God is calling to Moses, he's saying, remove your guilt and your shame, your sweat and your tears. The work that you try to do to accomplish freedom for yourself has led to nothing. Moses is in the desert because he was running from Egypt. God is saying, it's not your work. It's not what you try to do to help your people by killing an Egyptian. It's my work. It's my deliverance. It's my power. It's my plan and my purposes. So taking your shoes off is a realignment and a recognition that God is holy and what he does is far greater than what we can do. That we need and actually are dependent upon the work of God in our lives to accomplish the things that he's brought us into. Holiness matters. We're to live above reproach, not catering to the pleasures of this world, but to sacrifice ourselves or to live selfless lives for the glory of who God is and what he desires. Respect the king. Don't be flippant or casual, but honor him. Honor him. I'm going to put this into another R, repent. This is where I'm going to say renew yourself in him. Renew yourself in him. After turning to him, after repenting and coming to the Lord, take your shoes off and renew the facet of what you see of who God is. Because in the presence of God, he gives his purpose, he gives his plan, and he gives the direction that he wants you to go. So come into the presence of the king, approach him, knowing that he's the one that renews you, that sends you out, that has purpose and plan for your life and for what he will accomplish. Take your shoes off, because it matters how you stand before the king. I was, when I was in Zambia living there for a short time, working with some of the beautiful brothers and the things that we have there through Living Hope, um, I um, would wear sandals um, frequently. You know, Chacos, the every sandal? Some of you may know, some of you may not. They're just like Tevas or anything else, the lace-up sandals that you can kind of walk into anything. And so it helped because if it was raining or not raining or if I was crossing a stream or not stream, my shoes wouldn't be wet because they just dry. But walking in sandals is nasty because everything is dirt. Everything is a dirt road. And what I encountered was if I wear the sandals, my feet are just utterly filthy and they look different. So then you take the sandal off, and it's like the perfect ring of where every strap was. And then you don't even talk about the bottom of your feet, because 
Everything sticks to the sweat of your foot that you walk in. Let's just be real. But as I took my sandals off and thinking through this text, this, when I remove my sandals, you still need to be cleaned. Moses couldn't clean himself in this moment. There's no mention of water. Typically in a setting, you would wash each other's feet, right? Jesus does it to his disciples as, a te- as showing service and all the rest. But also as you come into a tent, as you come into the tabernacle, as you come into someone's home, the sandals are removed and your feet are washed. Here's an example where nothing could be done to cleanse his feet. But being in the presence of the king and obeying the call of the king was enough. God is the one that orchestrated the salvation and the sanctification that Moses needed to hear because he's walking in the desert with a flock, aimless, trying to figure out the the call and the the burden he has to free his people. And the Lord answers that call by cleansing him and sending him. Take your shoes off. My third point is this. We have turn to God, take your shoes off, and know that he sees and hears and knows all things. This is straight out of our text again, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to read it for you as we begin to close. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry, seen, heard, because they're taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. And, I, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Who delivered them? Not Moses. God delivered them through Moses. But he uses the human agency because he uses us to participate in his plan, in his mission. If we don't turn to God, if we don't allow him to cleanse and direct us, how are we going to know the purposes he has for the greater mission that he's ensuing in his kingdom? He sees all things. He hears all things. He says he sees the affliction of the people who are in Egypt. He heard their cry from their taskmasters. That is such a hard word for me to say taskmasters, and then he knows their sufferings. If you feel like you're in a desert this morning, just like I started, sometimes you feel forgotten. Take this aside really quick and hear this, please. The Lord has surely seen the affliction of his people. He sees you. He sees you in the frustrations of life that you may be going through. The pains of health, vocation, family, whatever that may be. He hears your cries. Your cry out to him is not not, um, falling on deaf ears. He sees your heart. He knows what you're talking about. He knows the things you're feeling. Because this last thing he says, he knows their sufferings. And he has come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. The Lord sees you, the Lord hears you, and the Lord knows. He doesn't stay on his throne and just kind of, kind of just figure out what's going on or bite his nails and say, the Egyptians are pretty strong. I don't know what I'm going to do. They have a lot of warfare, right? What he does is he delivers the people in his means. And as we fast forward, we know the story. We celebrate it every week. He didn't stay on his throne. He sent his son because he heard the cry of the people. He saw the affliction of sin and the brokenness that the fall ensued. And he knows, just like he did from the beginning, Genesis 3.15 tells us there will be a seed of a woman who will come, who will crush the head of the serpent. He knows what to do. So he sends his son that we would have life in him and life more abundantly. 
Jesus, or God sees all things. He knows all things. He hears all things. Um, having little kids has been so fun. <clears throat> and one of the things that's crazy for me is um, when they go to bed at night, you never know what's going to happen, at least for my family. It started out really great, and it was really calm. You put them down. We could walk out. Everything was, everything was a breeze. Now that they love being together and love talking, and some of them share a room, you put them to bed at night, you never know what kind of games they're going to come up with or where in the house you will find them to ask them to go back up into bed. Uh, but growing up, we had a camera that are brilliant with the video monitor. Maybe some of you use that or have had it, and if you haven't in the past, you probably are a better parent. But the camera, the video monitor shows us everything that's going on, and we can hear everything going on. Guys, I feel like I'm the Lord in, the, in that moment. In that moment, I can sit on the couch and watch them playing. Watch them disobey. Watch them do whatever they want to do, and they're wrestling, and they're fighting, and they're playing. Out of nowhere, a ball arrives on the camera, and now we're playing with a ball. Animals are talking. Everything's coming to life. And then you get on a little walkie-talkie thing, and you're like, children, I see you. <laughs> Please get back in bed. And it's just while they shake, and they get scared, and then you have to go back up because they didn't know a voice was coming out of the camera, and you have to explain <laughs> that was your father. And it was a God moment where I was speaking to you and telling you what to do. <laughs> no, so it actually backfired on us a lot, but I used it almost every time because it was awesome. Anyway, when I think of this, it gives me a, a please go with me here, okay, because I'm not trying to be blasphemous or whatever else. It gives me a glimpse into the beauty of God and the sovereign care he has for his people, where here we are feeling like sometimes maybe we're forgotten or dry, weary, in a desert in life. But he sees us, and he hears us, and he knows, and he speaks into it. He sends his son. He delivers. His answer is always deliverance. And so why not go to the one that sees and knows and hears anyway, rather than try to figure it out in your own strength? God diligently and accurately and certainly arrives on the scene with the things that he's going to do. There's a continuance to his seeing. It's not a one-time thing. He always knows. He always sees. He always intervenes. And so this is a, a, the realization for us that God condescends to us. He comes to us, not just in our time of need now, but all the time because he's given us his Holy Spirit. As I wrap up today, the way to approach the king matters. Do so in repentance. Do so renewing yourself in him by not only turning aside to him, but by taking your shoes off. And do so by reflecting on the fact that he's with you always. He sees, he knows, and he hears. Take your shoes off. Approach the king in an appropriate manner because it matters. Don't tell him what to do. But get on your knees before him and submit to him because he wants to guide and direct you into things that he has planned. He has a purpose for deliverance in every situation, so go to him. The beauty of our life is this, that we are in Christ if you believe in Jesus. So we get to approach him in a wonderful and beautiful way. Whereas in John it says, whoever believes in me, wait, wait for it, wait for it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You see, to know Jesus is to know the king. It is to know the will of the father. 
My admonition to you today is approach him in a way that shows that he is the king. It's not just your buddy. He's your Lord and Savior, and you know where he is? Seated on his throne. He deserves respect. Honor the king in an appropriate way, and I believe as we reset ourselves in repentance, renew ourselves in him, and reflect him in everything that we do in life, he will establish and bring to us the things that we need for his glory. So I was looking for that experience. And here I'm reminded, do the things I faithfully called you to do and see what I'll do through and in you, New Covenant Church. If you are feeling dry today, in our last five minutes, I'm asking this of you. Please let us pray for you. Steve, if I can invite you in the worship team, he's just going to sing, sing one verse of that song that we ended in. I'm sorry, worship team, I did not talk to you. But if you guys could just sing how deep the Father's love for us. In these last five minutes, this is what I would love. If you want to receive prayer today, if you are feeling dry in in a desert place, we would love to pray for you. I'm going to go to the back of the room, and I'm going to stand there in faith, ready to pray for you and lay hands on you. Maybe you just want to be seen. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you haven't taken the opportunities to repent and turn aside to the Lord in an appropriate way. Let's do it today. Why wait? Because I believe the Lord has more for us when we come before him in the appropriate way. So let's reset today and renew ourselves in him and honor the way he does it. Steve is going to lead us in uh, how deep the Father's love, and then we'll be dismissed after that. I'll be in the back. Please allow me to pray for you.